0: My purpose this morning, and that's why I'm glad you're with us today, my purpose this morning is as clearly and simply paint the big picture of what the gospel is. With each um, aspect of the gospel, we could go into greater depth, but I want to try and give uh, the big picture and answer this question. If before God, all humans are guilty, condemned, and helpless, how can we be made right with God? God. Before God, all humans are guilty, condemned, and helpless. How can we be made right before God? What is the gospel? And what we want to see is the gospel is the good news of a somber celebration of salvation. You are not here this morning by accident, there is purpose for you. Maybe you are not saved. Maybe you haven't considered who God is and that He is a holy God, and that you think that you are not helpless and you are not hopeless, but you are filled, you can help yourself, and you are filled with hope. You're actually fairly optimistic that if you were to stand before God in your state as you are today, things would be okay. I'm glad you're here this morning because maybe as we travel through Romans 3, uh, you'd have opportunity to consider that. Maybe you've been a believer for a long time and Like all of us, you lose sight of the gospel. We lose sight of the basics. We lose sight of the simple gospel that drives us to be who we are and why we do what we do, the purpose for our life and the purpose for our eternity. Maybe you're wandering, maybe you've left. Maybe you love the gospel and you can't wait to hear the story again. How, whatever brings you here this morning, we're glad that you have joined us and we pray that the gospel would just uh, give us that great joy and that new life that we um, have celebrated so often. So let's take a look, first of all, a somber celebration of salvation. Why is it a, why is it a celebration? Well, if we go back to Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, we see that Uh, It begins with words of celebration. After Paul introduces himself in verse 1, he says this, which for the gospel of God, so he's going to explain the gospel of God in five verses. This is going to explain the rest of the 16 chapters of the book of Romans. What is the gospel of God? Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh and was appointed to be the powerful son of God according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles, including you who are also called by Jesus Christ." To all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the celebration of the gospel. This is what Paul is going to explain for for the next 16 chapters. In these first five verses, Paul introduces his person, his work, and his impact. His person, his work, and his impact. Who is this person? Well, we read that he is the gospel of God. Jesus is the gospel of God. Jesus was promised in the Old Testament. He was promised to come and do great things. We read that Jesus came in the flesh. God become man. We read that he, became, that he came in power. He came to do things that were powerful. And he came in holiness. There was something vastly different about the person of Jesus. That is his person. We also read of his work. Why did he come? He came to destroy death. The greatest fear of humanity, the greatest complex question is death. We will all die one day. What will happen when we pass from this life? And Paul says Jesus came for the resurrection of the dead. He came to give life. He came to give new life, now life, eternal life. He came for life in a world of death, in a world of chaos. We read, he came to bring peace. In a world of darkness, he came to bring light. In a world of harm, he came to bring light, or came to bring love. In a world of, um, in, in a world of evil, he came to bring righteousness. Jesus came to bring life. This is all about the resurrection of the dead. Jesus would come and destroy evil. Sin, darkness, rebellion, and ultimately death. His person, his work, and then his impact what did he do? His work would be so great that it would change us. We read that um, Paul became an apostle also to the Gentiles, but it was for the obedience of the faith. In our prayer, we prayed Ephesians 2. We lived in darkness. We were slaves to darkness. But what God has done through Jesus Christ and through the resurrection of the dead is he's given us hearts to want to walk in obedience, to change. It doesn't matter if you've grown up in a Christian home. It doesn't matter if you've grown up in the world. Whatever it might be, God brings change. And what is that change? It is this act of obedience. It is this experience that we are loved by God. Have you ever been loved with such rich love? The love of God. Even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. When you were at your worst, Christ showed his best love for you in Jesus Christ. We will be changed. Notice it calls you saints. You ever been called a saint? There goes saint. Look at that saint. Now that's kind of old language, but you will be changed into holiness. Your desires will change. Your patterns of behavior will change. Your heart will change. All of this is the impact of the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because of that, you will know grace. You will know the riches, undeserved riches of God. You will know peace, a wholeness. The brokenness will be rebuilt. You will have a Father in heaven. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. You will have this this great King Father who welcomes you into his living room. You are his adopted child and he pours out love upon love and at times discipline, but discipline with purpose to give you hope. He has poured out his great love as a perfect father and you will serve as disciples and it will cost you sometimes your life. You will serve the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord, your master, Jesus, your savior, Messiah, the one who accomplished all things. That is the celebration of the gospel. In five verses that will be unpacked in 16 chapters, you have this celebration of God's work in Jesus Christ that covers every need, covers every question, covers every corner of your life that is filled with hope and now because of the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrected life. That's our Jesus. That's why we celebrate the gospel today. You may remember the story of the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son goes off and he, he says, I want to do things my way. So he goes and goes and does things his way, but he ends up in a pig pen. He says, even the servants have it better in my father's house. So he goes back and he's going to have this big forgiveness speech and he gets part of it out, the necessary part. But then his father his father stops him. And we read in Luke chapter 15, Verse 22, but the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and then bring the fatted calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast. That's what God does over his children. That is the effective work of Jesus Christ. He celebrates. He gives you sonship. He gives you daughtership. He welcomes you into his family. You might say, well, I wandered too far. The prodigal son wandered far away, but the father received him because the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now, that might not be your story. You might have grown up in the church your whole life because you may remember in that story the elder son came to the father and said, listen, I've been slaving many years for you. If that's your understanding of the gospel, I'm glad you're here this morning because that's not what the gospel is. I have been slaving many years for you and I have never disobeyed your orders. Do you feel like that? You have done such a good job that you have never disobeyed the orders of God, but it feels like a slave. Do you know what the father says to him? And I I know there's more, but he says this Son, do you want to understand the gospel if that's where you're at this morning? If you feel hard done by God and he is a harsh, harsh master and you have trouble keeping up with him? And you have trouble keeping up with what everybody else is telling you and how to be a good Christian? He says, Son, you are always with me. Do you know that about your father? The father is always with you. And everything I have is yours. Why are you slaving away? Everything I have is yours. My life, my works, the grace, the riches of God. You see, for believers, sometimes it's easy to miss out on the celebration. A somber celebration of salvation. If that's the celebration, then what is the somber celebration of the gospel? Well, the good news comes with a cost. When we, when, you, when we use the word somber, it's this deep feeling of seriousness and sadness. You know those reflective moments in your life when you look around and you know that something is terribly wrong? Sometimes when you look inside and you think something is not right, it's terribly wrong inside me. And we look at the end and we know something is wrong because we will one day meet death. These are the deep moments of life. You may remember John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the one who came to prepare the way so that people could hear and watch the work of Jesus. And you may remember in Matthew chapter 3 that the religious elite would come and hear John. And this is what John said. This is how John prepared the religious elite to hear the gospel or to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 3, verse 7 through 11. We won't read all of it, just the beginning part of it. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, welcome. It's not what he said, right? He said, brood of vipers. You imagine, you can just imagine the religious elite, the Pharisees looking at him and saying, oh, he must be talking about the people back there. Because he would welcome us. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance. And don't presume to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. And then he goes on, he says, you brood of vipers. You have to, you have to escape wrath. And when we come to the book of Romans... That's what Paul does. Paul prepares the people to meet Jesus. So in Romans chapter 1, beginning of verse 18, after he does some introduction and say he's not ashamed, in verse 18, this is how he begins the gospel presentation. Do you want to know how Paul begins the gospel presentation? Verse 18, he says this, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Isn't that amazing? The very first thing he does in order for us to prepare to understand the gospel is the same thing John the Baptist did when the people came to him. He basically said, you're a brood of vipers. You don't get it. You need to escape the wrath of God because the wrath of God is upon you. And then what he does is in the rest of Romans 1, he talks to the Gentiles and he says, Basically, uh, to the Gentiles, that you suppress the truth. You are filled with depravity, and you are filled with idolatry, not glorifying God and not giving him thanks. And then in Romans chapter 2, he goes to the Jews. And for a chapter and a half, he speaks to the Jews. And in Romans chapter 2, he basically says, you who judge the Gentiles... You who judge the Gentiles, you who look out into the world and say how bad the world is, he says you also are without excuse. You also are without excuse. In fact, his language is so strong that he says this, every one of you who judges is without excuse. And then in chapter 2, verse 5, you have a hardened and unrepentant heart and are storing up for yourself the wrath of God. You are storing up. For yourself the wrath of God. And in other words, it is, it is, he basically what he says is you you have the word, but you don't understand the word and you can't live out the word. And that's how a lot of people understand the gospel. But if we're always looking outside and saying how bad we are, without ever reflecting that we also are without excuse, and we desperately need a savior, and we desperately need a Lord, and we desperately need a Christ, and we need a Father in heaven. Then we haven't understood the gospel. And then in Romans chapter 3, he says, All people, all people, every single one of us in this room, every single person who is ever born, all people. And what he does is he goes to the Old Testament, and, and passage after passage after passage, he talks about our sin. He talks about our sinfulness and why the wrath of God is upon us. And this is how he begins. There is no one righteous, no not one. And this is how he ends. There is no fear of God before their eyes. There's no one righteous. And then he goes on to list their unrighteousness from a wide variety of Old Testament passages. And then he ends, there's not even a fear of God. In our culture, there's not even a fear of God. That we might be in some sort of trouble and that the wrath of God might be upon us. And whether we're Jew or Gentile or whatever, then There is ultimately no fear of God in our hearts. We will hear this message and we will say, I'm not helpless, I'm not hopeless. But Paul prepares us to hear the good news of Jesus Christ by saying, We are sinners, we are filled with sin, we love our sin, we are enslaved to our sin. I know this is good. If anything, the Bible is honest, and it loves you enough to be honest. You know people in your life who love you enough to have honest conversations. You are free to confess. You are free to try and accomplish something that you cannot accomplish. You no longer need to carry the pretense You no longer need to carry the shame, the guilt. You no longer need to be shackled with the old way of life which dishonors God, your family, and yourself. You can be set free. You can be set free to life, life now and life eternal. And how does that happen? There is a celebration. Yes, it's somber because we are born under the wrath of God. But there is salvation. There is salvation. Is there any hope? You may be at the point where you're saying, well, is there any hope in my life that God would ever come to me and say, come to me and I will set you free of shame and guilt and I will set you free of old habits and I will set you free to live for me as Lord Jesus and Christ. And so this is what Paul does when we come to Romans chapter three, verse 21. But now... You know when somebody, you're having a conversation and it's going one way, somebody says, but now the conversation's gonna go another way. That's what Paul does. This is the great transition. But now what? Apart from the law, not by your works. If you're gonna understand and if I'm gonna understand the good news, it's apart from the law. It's nothing that I do. It is not my works. It is not trying to accomplish things in order to earn the goodness of God. It's not my righteousness, apart from the law, the righteousness of God. Does that make sense? It's not my righteousness. When people are filled with hope or they're helpless, they're they're saying, well, it's my righteousness. Somehow I have to do this. And Paul comes along and says, listen, it's not going to be by works. And it's not going to be by your righteousness. Because the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets, spoken of in the Old Testament. Here it is. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. That is the good news. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. We feel the weight of our sin so we don't look inside. We feel the weight of our sin so we don't look at the law and at our works. We feel the weight of our sins so we look outside to Jesus and we read about his person and we read about his works and we read about his impact and we read about his invitation and we say, yes, Jesus came to give his good news for me. We see him. We we grow to love him and we hear him and we hear his truth and we hear his mercy and we hear his kind invitation. Jesus is perfectly meets the law that we could not do. Jesus is unique. Jesus meets the law's demands. There was no sin in him. Only perfect love, only perfect life. With every breath, he thanked God and glorified God to the glory of God in his worship of God in everything that he did. In fact, we read in Scripture that if we have seen the Father, we have seen Christ. He is the perfect righteousness. In him is pure holiness. And we receive him not by anything that we have done, but through faith in him. Through faith. Faith is unique because faith basically says, I bring nothing to you, Jesus, and I receive everything that you offer. Faith is this reliance on Jesus. Faith saves because it entirely looks to what God has done in Jesus Christ. To believe in him, to trust in him is to confess that we have nothing and Jesus has everything. So we repent. We understand that we are that brood of vipers. We understand that we are those under the wrath of God. And under the wrath of God, we confess that we can do nothing. The righteousness is outside of ourselves. And we believe. Believe. Set free. The work of Jesus is applied to our life. And we are set free. So, salvation is first of all the work of God. And then finally, salvation is the gift of God. Salvation is the gift of God. So what? You're, so you're asking this question right now. If Paul is saying that it's not by me, it's not by my lineage, it's not anything like that, and whatever my background is, I can come to Jesus, turn from my sin, put my faith in Him, and He will receive him because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You're saying, well, how does that happen? How is that even possible? That's verses 24 through 26. Just like the prodigal son was given the gift of forgiveness and family, Paul now explains the gift of salvation. Do you want to know the gift of salvation? Listen to verse 24 again. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Verse 23 was this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, except Jesus. But you have sinned, I have sinned, you have fallen short of the glory of God. I have fallen short of the glory of God. So what is the impact? What is the gift that God gives us? Verse twenty-five or verse 24, they are justified freely by his grace. Notice the word freely. Nothing that you have done. Nothing that you will ever do. God did not look at you and say, well, there is a special person. I owe him salvation. I owe her salvation. It is the unconditional choice and election of God that He places on you so that He freely chooses you to save you in the work of His Son, Jesus Christ. And His electing love is vast. And it is welcoming freely. You are justified. You are justified. Justified is a judicial term, it's courtroom language. If you're in the courtroom of God, you are guilty. That's what Romans 1.18 says. You are found guilty. Justified, to be justified is to be declared as if you're righteous in the sight of God. So let's say a human courtroom. Somebody goes into a courtroom and the judge doesn't make them guilty. The judge doesn't make them innocent. They are either guilty or innocent. There is a declaration. You are declared innocent. You are declared guilty. We walk into the courtroom of God and we're guilty because of the work of Jesus Christ and our union with him, that when he died, we died. When he rose, we rose. Because we are united with Christ through faith, we are declared. It is a one-time moment. You are declared as if you're righteous in the sight of God. When God looks at you, he does not see your sinfulness. He sees the righteousness of Christ because you are united with Christ. I want to say it again. It is a declaration. It is a one-time moment. How many people are racked with guilt because they had a bad week because they saw something, did something worse, something that they weren 't happy to be, and we think our salvation is ruined, and God comes along in Jesus Christ and says, "You are justified. you are declared righteous, as if you 're righteous, not because you are being not because you are made righteous, but because you are declared righteous, because the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been applied to your status. it is God saying, not guilty. You're not guilty because Jesus took your guilt. Jesus takes your shame. You don't have to carry it anymore. Even as a Christian, you are justified, declared in the sight of God as if you're righteous. And people will say, well, then I can sin as I want. You read Romans 6. It's absolutely not like that. Because you've not only been set free from the presence of sin, you've been set free from the power of sin. And you no longer want that life. You will struggle with that life, as in Romans 7, but as in Romans 8, God's love will never leave you. He will never let you go. You are not guilty. His amazing, undeserved kindness, He is gracious in His verdict. Through the sacrificial substitutionary suffering death of Jesus, God placed our sins and our guilt on Jesus and he suffered God's horrific wrath. Justification in your life and my life is a pronouncement that our sins are forgiven and we are credited Christ's righteousness in Jesus. It is as if we are righteous clothed in the righteousness in the sight of God declared innocent once for all. It is a moment in time. And you may not be able to say that moment when you came to Christ. It might be over time. But there was a time when um, you were declared as if you're righteous in the sight of God. Set free by faith. Nothing you have done. That's salvation. Found in the person, the work, and the impact of Jesus. Jesus because we were found under the wrath of God. And whether that wrath was as a Gentile and we just lived in idolatry, or whether that wrath was as a Jew when we grew up in a church and we knew all about the Bible, we thought we knew everything, but we really didn't know anything. And we see that it's ultimately Jesus that saves us, not by works, not by lineage, not by family. Why? Because we've seen Salvation is the work of God. It is a righteousness outside of ourselves, and we've seen it's a gift of God. Now, I just want to close with this, and then we will um, we will sing, uh, and and then we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper. Um, and I just want to say these these last two things. First of all, you may come this morning. You may say, "I don't know if I'm a believer or not. I don't know if I'm a believer." We've asked, the, or we've said, you know, th- this, is, this is somber. This is deep. This is reflective. Why is it somber? It's somber because if you don't have Christ, please hear me. According to the, uh, the honest book, the most honest book you'll ever read, because if you don't have Christ, you are under the wrath of God. And if we were to continue, just like in the Old Testament, sometimes just God passes over and you say, Well, God hasn't done anything. So we're all good. Are you? If you were to stand before God today, are you good? See, what the gospel teaches us is we're not. In fact, Satan's lie is so great that we think we are. But Romans 3 21 through 26 basically says, we're hopeless, we're helpless. And so you say, but I would like to come to Jesus. (laughs) I would love to come to Jesus, but I'm not sure that He'll He'll take me. You don't know my story. Jesus knows your story. Jesus knew my story. But I don't know what to say. You know what? You, th- th- try this. When you go home, or even now, you just start in verse 24 and work your way backwards. What's verse 24? They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption. We didn't even get to redemption, but redemption is you've been set free with a cost. Redemption that is in Christ Jesus. If you want to come to Jesus, begin with his promise. Begin with his promise. Sometimes we begin with our sin, and that's okay, but we need a place to bring our sin, so we bring it to the promise. What do we find? He's our redemption. Jesus has come to set you free. He has come to justify you, and it is freely. It's freely. Nothing you can do. It is his free grace. And then you go to verse 23. What's verse 23? For all have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. So you know the promise of God. And then you come to God, Jesus with your sin. And you say, and you don't have, it's not that you list every sin. But it's saying, Jesus, I am under your wrath. And I have come to see that. Your Holy Spirit has shown me that I am under your wrath. And I'm in trouble and it can't be according to my works. And there's nothing inside me. The church can't save me. I can't save me. Nobody can save me. I have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. So where do you bring your sin? To verse 22, the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. The promises of God are sinfulness. And then what do you do? You run into Christ. Christ you run to Christ, you go to the cross, you see him suffer, you see him die, you see him in the grave, you see him raised again and when he has done all of that for you through faith, you see his power that your sins have been forgiven, the wrath of God that was yours was born by Jesus, the guilt is removed, the shame is removed and you have a new life from the presence of sin and from the power of sin to live to the glory of God. The promise of God. Your sinfulness brought before Jesus Christ, and he is faithful. And if you pray that, you are saved. It's not more complicated. The hardest thing to do with the gospel is to make it, and I maybe even have failed this morning at this, but to make it so plain and simple. We're under the wrath of God. Come to Jesus He paid it all. He freely receives you. You. Me. You. And then the final thing is as Christians, do we celebrate? Do we really celebrate? We're going to have the Lord's Supper this morning. (laughs) I read a prayer from C.H. Spurgeon that someone posted. This was the prayer. Lord, send your life throughout the entire church. Visit your church. Restore sound doctrine and holy, earnest living. Take away from professing Christians their love for frivolities, their attempts to meet the world on its own ground and give back the old love of the doctrines of the cross and Christ. May free grace and dying love again be the music that refreshes the church and makes her heart exceedingly glad. Do you know how you will celebrate the gospel of Jesus Christ? You will give yourself up. You will die daily. You will die to yourself. You will have sacrificial love. You will have sacrificial service. We have believed the lie that to find life is to, or is to live for us. But the gospel comes along and says, as you sacrificially give, as you sacrificially love, as you sacrificially serve, that is a celebration because we are created in the image of Christ. So Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is my prayer. Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks that we have been declared righteous by faith, not our works, not our righteousness. We have attained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. And Lord, may it be so that we stand in grace. For those who believe, may they celebrate. For those who have not settled matters with Christ, may they come to the cross today. And may they see the beauty of Christ and that he has set them free from their sin. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. (laughs)